We'll begin by going to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll get to that here in just a few minutes. I'd like to preach a message today that I think is going to be the first of two parts. I don't think I'll be able to get it all in this message. But I want to preach a message today concerning a question that I'm often asked by people that I meet um, in society. You know, I often find opportunities to share the faith or the gospel message that is the good news of the glad tidings with many people. And this question often comes up in the discussions or the conversations that I have. People look at me maybe by the outward appearance or maybe by talking to me for a little bit. And they begin to wonder certain things and wonder where I come from, what my background is, how I was raised, what I believe. And then the question pops up and they ask me, they say, well, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And so the simple answer, quote unquote, the simple answer to this question is actually twofold in my estimation. Now, I want you to hear me out in these two messages in regards to this. The first answer that I want to give to that question is no, I'm not a Christian. And the second answer that I want to give to that question is yes, I am a Christian. And now that may seem on the onset to be a very confusing answer. You know, you might even think that I'm double-minded and James or Yaakov tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And so Brother Matthew's trying to use dialectics from the pulpit and he's double-minded and he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's very confusing. I don't understand, Brother Matthew. How can he say yes and no at the same time? Well, I don't say yes and no at the same time. Let me explain. My answers are given because there can be varying definitions of the word Christian in the minds of the people that are asking the question. There are varying definitions of that word in minds of people. And so the definition that each person has in his or her mind may cause my answer to either be the number one answer, that is no, or the number two answer, that is yes. It all depends on the definition that they are giving for the word. For instance, one example is I might be asked by someone if I'm fond or if I enjoy milk. I could say yes or I could say no. If you're talking about whole milk or goat's milk, yes, I enjoy milk. I enjoy it thoroughly. But if you're talking about skim milk, then no, I don't want it. It's too watered down for me. I don't enjoy it at all. And so the answer is twofold depending on the definition of the word. Example number two, do, do you enjoy listening to music, Brother Matthew? Well, yes and no. Yes, if you're talking about praise and worship or classical music or maybe some nice jazz music, something like that, instrumental. Yes, I enjoy listening to music. But if you're talking about rock and roll or rap, then no, I don't. Not at all enjoy listening to that type of music. Example number three, this is a biblical one. Brother Matthew, do you believe in the rapture? Well, yes, I believe in it. If you're talking about the rapture or the catching away of the wicked, as mentioned in Matthew 24. But no, if you're talking about that all quote-unquote believers will be called up, whether in plane, train, or automobile in, 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 at a certain moment, and they'll just fly out of here, no, I don't believe that that's going to happen. So it's all depending upon the definition that you give for the word rapture, milk, music, or Christian. Now, I believe that there are true, undeniable definitions of each of these terms or these words. And we'll get to the true definition of the word Christian probably next week. But we need to understand that sometimes that the answers that we give people depend highly 
upon the definition that the questioner has in their mind. And we want to rightly define our terms before we begin to give answers. If two people are talking and the terms are not first rightly defined, it can become a very confusing and disruptive conversation. But if you define terms first, it can be a lot easier. And so therefore, in this particular message today, I want to give the reasons why I am not a Christian. And we'll just cover three major reasons in this message. Reason number one. Once again, these reasons are based upon the definition that people give to the term Christian. Reason number one. If by Christian you have in mind that a Christian is one who believes in a triune God or that Yahweh is a trinity, the answer is no, I'm not a Christian. If you look just about within any denomination in quote-unquote Christianity, the cardinal doctrine of that denomination is a Trinitarian God. A God that exists in three co-equal and co-eternal persons, yet in one being of God. If that's your definition of a Christian, then I do not take the title Christian for myself. Because I do not believe that Yahweh exists in a trinity. I don't believe that He's one God in three co-equal and co-eternal persons. And that each one of those are rightfully termed God Almighty. I don't believe that. Along with this teaching comes the doctrine of the deity of Christ. And this one scares people. They think if you don't believe in Christ's deity, you're not a believer, you're a cult. But the word deity, if you look it up in a dictionary, the rightful definition of the word means a supreme being. And I would be lying if I told you that the Bible teaches that Messiah is the supreme being of the world. I would be lying. And so therefore, if you see or you say that a Christian is one that believes in what the church world calls the deity of Christ, then no, I am not a Christian because I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. That may sound strange to, to maybe some people in here or some people I definitely it sounds strange to in the world that I meet. But I find so often is the case is that people believe this not because they've studied the Bible, but because their church organization or their statement of faith or their creed states such to be true. Because a pastor has told them that if you don't believe in the Trinity, you're in a cult. If you don't believe in the deity of Christ, you're, you belong to a cult. You're not right. You can't be saved. I don't find these words in the Bible. In Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, a declaration of independence for the nation of Israel, then and still should be now. The Bible says, listen Israel. The word in Hebrew is Shema. It means diligently listen. Listen, Israel, Yahweh our Elohim, or Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad, Yahweh is one. The word Echad in Hebrew means one numerically. In Genesis 1, the day one that is mentioned after the evening and the morning is Yom Echad, followed by day two, Yom Shani. In Ecclesiastes, I can't remember the chapter, but the Bible says that two, that is Shani, is better than one, Echad, and a good reward they have for their labor. The word one is very similar. Echad is very similar to our English word one. And that when we say in English one, we mean the number one. When little English children learn to count, they learn to count one, two, three. When Hebrew children learn to count, they learn to count Echad, Shani, Shelishi, and so on and so forth. This is how they learn to count. Echad means one numerically. 
has absolutely nothing to do with a, a plural oneness. It has nothing to do with uh, a unified unity or a oneness or anything like that. It has to do with numerical oneness. It has to do with numerical oneness. In Mark chapter 12, let's look at Mark chapter 12. Our Messiah, Yeshua the Messiah, he knew well about Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. And he believed in this passage of Scripture. In Mark 12, verse 28, the Bible says, One of the scribes approached when he heard them debating and saw that Yeshua answered them well. He asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? This is the most important, Yeshua answered. Now, this is our Messiah answering the question. What does he say? Often we say that the two greatest commandments is to love Yahweh and to love our neighbor. And that's great. That's fine. But something comes before we quote, Thou shalt love Yahweh. The Shema comes. And the Shema says, Listen, Israel, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Yahweh is one. Not two, not three, not a dozen, but He's one. It's not difficult to understand. And Yeshua says, Love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him. Now, notice here that the scribe gives us a commentary on the Shema. I've heard people say, well, Yahweh's name is mentioned twice in the Shema, therefore there must be two Yahwehs. But the Bible there says Yahweh is one. It says it very emphatically. But the scribe gives us a commentary on that. In verse 32 it says, Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. Now, the scribe qualified the word one by saying there is no one else except him. The scribe wasn't talking about the scribe. The scribe was not talking about the Messiah. The scribe was talking about the Father in heaven. And Yeshua was referring to the Father in heaven as well. It says, and to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Yeshua saw that he answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of Elohim. And no one dared to question him any longer. The Old Testament is full of passages. I will not take the time to go into. That's not the primary meaning or the primary thing I want to get across in this message. But the Old Testament is full of passages that teach that Yahweh is Elohim all by himself. That there is none other than he. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 10 through 11. Chapter 44, 6, 8, and 24. Chapter 45, verse 6, verses 21 through 22. And Isaiah 46 and 9 all tell us that Yahweh is Elohim. He is the Mighty One. And that there was no L formed before Him, nor there was an L formed after Him. Deuteronomy 32, 39 says there is no Elohim with Him at all. He alone is the mighty one. He alone is worthy of the praise and the honor. And the New Testament also teaches us this as well. In Romans 3, verse 30, the Bible says, Seeing therefore that it is one Elohim, or the King James says, one God that justifies the circumcised man and the uncircumcised man. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6 tells us that there is one Elohim, the Father, by whom are all things. Galatians 3, 20 says, Now a mediator is not of one, but Yahweh or Elohim is one. Ephesians 4 verse 6 tells us that there is one Elohim, the Father. 
First Timothy 2 verse 5 tells us that there is one Elohim and one mediator between us and that one Elohim, the man, Messiah, Yeshua. Notice also that it differentiates Yeshua from the one Elohim position in that verse. James 2.19 says, You believe that there is one mighty one, one El, one Elohim? You do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder or they tremble. And to make two or three persons out of these scriptures is nothing short of adding to the text of Scripture. The Bible uses the most emphatic and undeniable terms to deny any existence of personage in what's known as the Godhead. It uses the most emphatic of terms to say that there is a holy one of Israel. Not a holy two of Israel, not a holy three, not holy ones of Israel, but Yahweh the holy one singular of Israel. We have to stretch, twist, and make things fit to believe any other way. You know, I also not only believe in the Father, but I believe in the Son as well. And I also believe in the Holy Spirit. Someone asked me not too long ago, well, what about Matthew 28 19, where it talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And I explained to them very gently, I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, singular. I have no problem with that scripture. I believe that it's inspired. I believe it's meant to be in the Bible. So I have no problem with that scripture. But what do I believe about the Messiah? Well, I believe that he was born of a woman who had never known a man. I believe that he lived a sinless life. and That he died a substitutionary and sacrificial death. That he resurrected the third day and ascended into heaven. And that he's right now seated on the right hand of our mighty one and our father, Yahweh Elohim. And that he's there and that he intercedes when we pray through the Messiah to the father. I believe the declaration that the Bible gives about the Messiah. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, verse 13. The Bible says, When Yeshua came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Verse 15, But you, He asked them, Who do you say that I am? Now here is the very question asked, and the answer is given. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living Elohim. King James says, The Son of the living God. And Yeshua responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father, my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my assembly or church, and the the forces of Hades will not overpower it. The Bible says over and over and over, that Yeshua is the Son of Yahweh. In Mark 1, 1, it says the beginning of the gospel of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of Yahweh. In Luke 1, 35, the angel told Miriam, for this reason that the Holy Spirit would overshadow you, for this very reason, that Holy One that will be born in you shall be called the Son of Yahweh or the Son of Elohim. In John 20, 31, John tells us why he wrote his gospel. The gospel according to John was written according to John because that we might believe that Yeshua the Messiah is the Son of Yahweh. That's why John wrote his gospel. In Acts 9 verse 20, when the apostle Shaul, when he first was converted, when Paul was converted over to being a believer in the Messiah, it says that straightway he immediately preached in the synagogues, Acts 9.20, that Yeshua was the Son of Yahweh. That's what he preached in the synagogues. 
First John 4, verse 15 says, Whosoever believeth that Yeshua is the Son of Yahweh, Yahweh dwelleth in him, and he in Yahweh. First John 5, verse 5 says, Who is he that overcometh the world? Even he that believeth that Yeshua is the Son of Yahweh. The Son of Yahweh. Over and over and over and over again. All through the Bible. The belief in the Son of Yahweh is there. The Bible absolutely never teaches that we have to believe that Yeshua is God. It never teaches that. Not one page in the Bible teaches that at all. The question was given. The answer was made. And Yeshua applauded the answer. I also believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Spirit of Yahweh is Yahweh in action. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, the Bible says that the Spirit of Elohim moved across the face of the waters. The very first mention of the Spirit in the Bible. Yahweh in action. Yahweh's power is force. I don't believe that Yahweh's Spirit is a separate Spirit. That you have Yahweh here as one Spirit and then the Holy Spirit is a separate spirit, another personage. No more than when Second Kings chapter 2, verse 15 says that this talks about the spirit of Elijah means that that's a separate personage from Elijah. No, the spirit of Elijah means Elijah's spirit. And the Bible says when it talks about the Holy Spirit of Yahweh, it's Yahweh's spirit. It's a different sphere of how Yahweh works in the lives of individuals. It's not a separate person. It's not a, not, a, not a third person, third co-equal or co-eternal personage that makes up one triune God. But no, it's Yahweh's power. It's how He works. It's His force. It's His action. And so I believe in a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit, but I do not believe in a Trinity or a triune God. <clears throat> Moving along, you know, if by Christian you mean that I am a person who does not abide by laws or believe in the commandments statutes and judgments of Almighty Yahweh. If that's what you mean by a Christian, then I am not a Christian. Not at all, if that's what you mean. I rather believe, as Psalms 19, verse 7 says, that the law of Yahweh is perfect, converting the soul. I believe that verse. Psalms 119, verse 47 states that I delight myself in Yahweh's commandments, which I have loved, not hated, and Psalms 119, verse 127 says, I love Yahweh's commandments more than fine gold. More than fine gold. David loved them and I love them too. <clears throat> I agree with the prophets in Isaiah 5, verse 24, where Isaiah said, quote, Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness and their blossoms shall go up as dust. Because they have cast away the law of Yahweh of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. End of quote. Why shall they be cast away? Why shall they become rotten? Because they have cast away the law of Yahweh of hosts. That's why. I believe the prophet Amos was right in Amos 2 verse 4 when he said, Thus saith Yahweh for three transgressions of Judah and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they have despised the law of Yahweh and have not kept his commandments and their lies caused them to err after the which their fathers have walked. End of quote. I believe that the prophets are right. Look at the book of Ezra. I think that we all need to be like Ezra was in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra 7, verse 10. 
The Bible says in Ezra 7.10, Because Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of Yahweh, obey it, and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. That's what I determined in my heart to do. And so being a Christian means that I'm not to do that, that I'm not your definition of a Christian at all. Also, Malachi 4, verse 4. I won't turn to this one, but it's the last book in the Old Testament canon. And it states in Malachi 4, 4, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb with its statutes and judgments. The very last book in the Old Testament canon, before the Messiah comes, Yahweh tells us, don't forget the law of Moses, my servant. Doesn't sound to me like he's going to do away with it when the Messiah comes. I agree with the Messiah in Matthew 5.17 where he says, don't even think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. And that when he said, those that teach to break the least, even the least will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on in verse 20 to qualify that by saying, except your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. I agree with Yeshua in Matthew 7.21 where he said, not everyone who calls me master, master will enter into the kingdom of heaven. That he does the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's who will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So I agree with our Messiah on this particular topic and subject. I also agree with the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Where Paul says that the doers of the law will be justified. In Romans 2 verse 13. I believe that the law is holy, just and good and spiritual. Romans 7 verses 12 and 14. As the Apostle Paul stated in the New Testament. I agree with Paul in Romans 3, verse 31, where he says, Do we then nullify the law through faith? He's talking about faith in Romans 2 and Romans 3. And then at the end of his dissertation, he knows that someone may think that the law is now nullified. So he asked the question, Do we nullify the law because of this faith? He said, May it never be. He said, We make it stronger. We uphold it because of this faith. And so I agree with Apostle Paul. I agree with Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-4, through 4, where the Bible says that if we say that we know the Messiah, but we do not keep His commandments, we're liars, and the truth is not in us. The Bible says if we say we know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, we are liars, and the truth is not in us. That's what the Bible says. Now, some people may have a problem with that Bible verse, but we shouldn't have a problem with any Bible verse Because they're in there for a reason. They're in there to keep us in the straight and the narrow pathway that few find. Not the many. The many go the broad way. But few find the straight and the confined and the restricted and the narrow way. Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14. Our Savior said that. Brother Matthew didn't say that. Our Savior said that. The Messiah. And so I agree with all these passages of Scripture. In Revelation chapter 12. Let's look at Revelation. The last book in our our Bibles. Revelation 12, I agree with what the Apostle John says in Revelation 12, verse 17, where the Bible says, So the dragon was furious with the woman and left to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Who is the offspring? Those who keep the commandments of Yahweh and have the testimony about Yeshua. Also, Revelation 14, if we turn the page to Revelation 14, verse 12, The Bible says here is the endurance of the saints. This is what causes us to endure till the end. Those who keep the commandments of Yahweh 
and the faith in Yeshua the Messiah. And so if your definition of a Christian is one who does not practice biblical law, then I am not a Christian by that definition. My third and final reason that I'll go to in this message has to do with a movement known as modernism or liberalism. Modernism is defined by Webster's 1828 dictionary as a movement in Protestant Christianity originating in the latter half of the 19th century and continuing to the present that seeks to establish the meaning and validity of the Christian faith in relation to present, present human experience and reconcile and unify traditional theological concepts with the requirements of modern knowledge. Compare liberalism, end of quote. Liberalism says, quote, a movement in modern Protestantism emphasizing intellectual liberty and the spiritual and ethical content of Christianity, end of quote. Basically, it is a watered-down faith. Basically, it is that, well, I know that that's what it meant for that time. But we're in a different time now, and things are different after all. You know, we're in the 21st century, and we need to be in the now as a church. You know, I do not believe that the faith of Scripture changes with time. I believe that the essential and the cardinal doctrines of Scripture are immutable, they're unchangeable, and they are to govern the lives of men, whether living in the 1st century A.D. or the 21st century A.D. Our culture should not change the commandments of Yahweh. Now, I think that things that are not essential and are not biblically, biblically uh, uh, specified do change with culture. But when a commandment or a principle is given in the Bible, it does not change with centuries. It does not change with culture. Something that was good for the Israelites 4,000 years ago is good for the Israelites in the 21st century, in the year 2006. No modernism or liberalism is taught in the Bible. Look at Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Jeremiah 6, verse 16. The Bible says, This is what Yahweh says, Stand by the roadways and look. Ask about the ancient paths, which is the way to what is good. Then take it and find rest for yourselves. But they protested, We won't. We will not look to the ancient paths. We will not look to the Scriptures and find what is good. Verse 17 says, I appointed watchmen over you and said, Listen for the sound of the ram's horn. But they protested, We will not listen. Look at verse 18. Therefore listen, you nations and you witnesses. Learn what the charge is against them. Listen, earth. I am about to bring disaster on these people. The fruit of their own plotting. Why? For they have paid no attention to my word. They have rejected my law. So I don't believe in modernism or liberalism. This is not a rebuke in Jeremiah 6. It's not a rebuke against technology. But it's a rebuke against trying to fit Yahweh in a modernist box. And to take Him out whenever we please. Whenever He's convenient for us. Serving Yahweh when it's just convenient. Trying to reinterpret the Bible to fit the lifestyle we wish to live in the 21st century. You know, this is seen primarily on television today. And I'm not bashful to say that. It's seen primarily on television today. All that we must do is speak in a few counterfeit tongues, jerk our body, holler and scream a little bit, wave a handkerchief, and we've got ourselves a church. Or I should probably say that you've got yourself a business. That's what you've got. Brethren, look at Micah chapter 3. The book of Micah chapter 3, another prophet. Joel, Amos, Jonah, Micah. 
Micah chapter 3, verse 8. Micah 3, verse 8. The Bible says, but as for me, now this is a prophet of Yahweh now. But as for me, I am filled with power by the Spirit of Yahweh, with justice and courage to proclaim to Jacob his rebellion and to Israel his sin. Listen to this, leaders of the house of Jacob. You rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert everything that is right. Who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with injustice. Her leaders issue rulings for a bribe. Her priests teach for payment. And her prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on Yahweh saying, is it Yahweh among us? No calamity will overtake us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become ruins, and the hill of the Temple Mount will be a thicket. You know, I do not think that we should seek to use unscriptural or unbiblical methods and unscriptural ways to win lost souls. I don't believe in that for one minute. I believe that the Bible, that the Scriptures, that the unadulterated and uncompromised Word of Yahweh will win His elect to his church, to his assembly. I would rather teach about sin and its consequences, as many early American preachers did, such as Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, different ones. They may have not had all truth, but they preached against sin and its consequences. They preached that we must obey the commandments of Yahweh. Look at the writings of the early American preachers in this nation. They preached this thing, and this nation once was a pretty biblical nation when that was going forward. And so I seek to reestablish what not only the early American preachers preached, but what those preachers in the Bible preached. They preached against sin. They said that it was wrong. They didn't have a problem telling you that sin was breaking of the laws of Yahweh. They didn't have a problem naming sins and telling you that adultery and fornication and theft and covetousness and Sabbath breaking and evil, all these things, gossiping, slander, all these are sins and they must be removed from the life of a believer. I believe that that type of teaching is what wins quality to the assembly of Yahweh and not necessarily all the time quantity. I don't want somebody that comes in here and pussyfoots around and just plays church. I want saints. That's what Yahweh wants. He wants saints that are true and that are devoted to His Word, that study His Word daily, that pray and spend time in their closet each and every day of their life, that fast before Him and push things away from the world that does not desire to fill and to sanctify the flesh but that desires to live according to what the Bible teaches. That is what Yahweh wants. That is what Yahweh wants. I can't make you do it. I can't force you to do it. I don't lord over you. I don't call you up and say, well, where are you at? What are you doing? What are you doing? What about this? What about that? But I can lead by example. I can be an example to the flock. If you don't make it to the kingdom of heaven... It'll be your fault. You didn't serve Yahweh. You didn't give Him your all. You did that one thing that you knew was wrong. You didn't repent of it. You didn't get on your knees and pray until it was broken. You didn't seek Yahweh's face. You will die and you will be punished. Brother Matthew, why do you talk like that? Because the Bible tells me to talk like that. As we, as we mentioned in our study on are your ears itching or circumcised, we've found that most people have itching ears and not circumcised ears, Brother Andy. Most people desire to hear what's pleasing to the flesh. 
You know, I do not desire, let me say this, let's keep reverent. We could just be quiet, children. I do not desire for the assembly of Yahweh to be a hangout or to be a social club. I believe that it should be a place where we fellowship and where we enjoy one another. But it needs to be a place of reverence. It needs to be a place where we come together to worship and to make Yahweh our central focus. Amen? It's a place where brethren come together at the times that Yahweh has appointed and not at our own times. We come to lift up the name of Yahweh and declare Him as sovereign in our lives. As John 4, 23-24 says, our Messiah said that there is coming a time when you won't in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. But the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. They won't just have the spirit and they won't just have the truth, but they'll have both. They'll have both the heart worship, the emotional worship from the heart, and they'll also have the worship of the truth of the mind. The intellectual worship, the one that studies and that seeks doctrines out and that proves biblical teaching. If by a Christian you mean that the three things that we've covered tonight, that I have to believe those three things, or even one of them, and by that definition, I'm not a Christian. By that definition. But I would also like to share with you, Yahweh's will, next week, why I am a Christian. I want to share with you why I am. And that'll have to wait till next week's message. And so let's let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Praise Yahweh. Dear Heavenly Father, Yahweh, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. Father, give us wisdom. Give us understanding. Let us read your word and pray. Father, let us be men and women of, of faith, of faithfulness. As Abraham was a man of faithfulness. Father Yahweh, we thank you for all that you do for us. Sacred be your name. Father, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we thank you for your son. And we appreciate him, Father, for what he did for us at Calvary. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you so much. Let us be mindful of the brethren. Let us be mindful of the Bible. Let us be mindful of you. Let us seek to please you, Father Yahweh. Let us not seek to please men or we'll be a servant of men. Father, let us be a, a servant of you, a servant of you, Yahweh, Father. Father, give us the words to say when we witness to people. Give us the thoughts to try to convey to them. Give us a mind. Let us hunger and thirst after righteousness. Let us realize that we must live holy every day of the week. Follow holiness, which without no man shall see Yahweh. Father, forgive us of our wrongs. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of the times we fail you. Make us clean. Make us holy in your sight. Father Yahweh, we know that your will will be accomplished and that you'll be glorified in the preaching of the gospel. And we thank you so much. Bless each and every person here. Bring them back next week according to your will. Let no harm come upon us or our children. Protect our wives and our families. Through your Son, Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. I love everybody. And uh, we're dismissed if there is any such thing. Oh, that's right. Yes. Let's, Let's have... Let's...
I appreciate you for bringing that up. Let's have Sister Leone and Sister Rhonda come up.